Hey, it's Josh Brown. I'm here live at the compound with my friend Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity. Tony is one of my favorite people to have on the channel. We've had him here before. You guys love the video. And we're going to talk about the tendency for the stock market to rally into year end. I have some crazy statistics, and Tony's insights are second to none. So stick around. Okay, first of all, Tony, thanks for coming and for dressing appropriately for the channel. Buddy, I am so millennial. <laughs> really appreciate it. Um, I want to talk to you about a phenomenon that everyone is vaguely aware of. Um, we did some digging into the numbers and we're just blown away at the tendency for the market in the first three quarters of the year, it's doing well, to really explode into year end. And that is the situation we find ourselves in uh, here at the end of 2019. So let me just let me just get your impression of this. The S&P 500 came into October of this year up double digits. Um, that's happened 42 times since 1926. So about half the time, the markets are up double digits coming into Q4. Of those 42 times, in 35 cases, the market went up even more into year end. Um, that's about an 85% success rate. That's, a, that's as good as you get in, in market stats. On only seven occasions did it fall in the fourth quarter after being up so, so strongly. Um, but here's the caveat. The three worst fourth quarter losses ever were in those years. And that would be 1929, 1987, and last year. Right. Down 28%, 23%, and 14% uh, respectively. So most of the time when stocks are already up, they continue to go up, which as a trend following person, everyone would agree on that. Uh, but then sometimes when that doesn't work out, like last year, they get absolutely crushed. So the average gain in Q4 when you're up double digits is 4.5%. Why do you think that takes place? Is it, is it all behavioral? Is it all psychological? I really or? think it is. Okay. I, I really do, Josh. When you think about it as a portfolio manager, you do a great job as a portfolio manager. For the first three quarters of the year, you're, you're always kind of thinking, as when I did it at one point, well, it's all right because I still have the rest of the year to figure it out. When right. you get up to end of September into October, you don't have the rest. Of the, the rest of the year isn't that long. So we did the same kind of study like when the first three quarters of the year up and we found the same thing. But think about what you said. This is awesome when it comes to human nature, right? Yes. 1929, 1987, and 2018. You notice there's kind of a gap in between those years, right? Yes. And everyone, everybody's everyone right. <laughs> everybody's screaming about how we could have a replay of last year, and it's set up. It's it couldn't be more opposite than it was last year, is what we talked about eight months ago, right? Um, in our three recession indicators. But at the end of the day, there's a there's a big spread between when you have a really bad fourth quarter, and it doesn't appear likely. Right. So this is the twenty fourth time. Um, back to 1926 that the S&P has been up more than 20% going into year end. So that's about a quarter. I mean, people are looking at this year like it's an anomaly, I think, to yeah. some extent. Um, we had so much headline volatility, so little stock market volatility. Um, but And then people are saying, this is strange. A quarter of the time, this is the position we're in in October. We're up more than 20% yeah. into the year. I think people, can, they look at the historical return where it's 7% per annum, um, real return in the S&P 500, and they're thinking, okay, maybe it's plus or minus 7%. It's, it's either down or right. it's up really big. 
Right, you don't have any average years. There's very few average years. And so what drives it up really big is always monetary policy and interest rates. We keep trying to recreate the wheel like human nature somehow is different. It's never different. You have pressure in the fourth quarter to make sure as an active portfolio manager that you're outperforming the indices. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just argue for going passive investment? So this year, statistically, the active managers have done better than I think most of the years during the, the recovery for the, for the great, for, since the great financial crisis, like the stats aren't as bad as they normally are. Does that lend itself to more risk taking and, and more concentrated positions or the opposite? Do people now play it safe and go back to the fang names or, you well, know? So, you know, the Baron, Baron's big money poll came out this last weekend, right? right? And the lowest l- number of bulls are positive people in over 20 years. It's a 27% or something. And and last night, when I looked, I couldn't find below 38%, and I got to check that. But at the end of the day, the lowest level of bulls in over 20 years, with the economy still positive, the market up 20%, making a new record high. Active managers have become defensive because they don't want to give up the year. They came into the fourth quarter expecting a potential of what you outlined, the three years where you're going to have a big, bad fourth quarter. And right. it's not happening, which forces a scramble because then all of a sudden that a- the active management that was outperforming may now become start underperforming. Because it's too defensive. Correct. So if yeah. you're if you're playing defense right now, you're in utilities REITs, the, and we can talk about this as much as you want. People don't understand that when the Fed is easing monetary policy, it's pro-growth, which means your long-dated maturities, your treasury securities, should go up in yield. Right. Right? Because it's a stimulative behavior. We have behavior. a little bit of a curve, uh, curve steepening now. After the, right. Also, you know, all summer we were freaked out about the inverted yield curve. Now we have a little bit of steepening. Um, is which that enough to get to excited happen. about? Or? It, it isn't really. Right. It, it, what it comes down to is... Um, banks are willing to lend and the corporate credit market is open. So companies have plenty of money, households have plenty of money. And what typically happens after an inversion of the yield curve is that you get this flip-flop around the zero level for a while. It doesn't just invert once. And there's a long lead time to the next recession. What most people also don't realize, and we talked about it last time, is the market traditionally over the last three cycles was up 34% median from the date of the initial inversion, which happened a couple of months ago on the 210 spread, which means we got a long way to go. Right. Even if you use all the data since 1954, up 21.5% tw- up over does it, Why does it do that? Because the Fed then reacts and, and lowers rates, which then boosts the market. Whether or not you avoid yeah. recession in the end is not the point. The point you're making is the rally from the inversion is fairly p- powerful. And arguably, we've been seeing it this this fall. The messaging doesn't get to bankers quickly. So in other words, let's say you invert the yield curve, right? And it goes, and it generally happens pretty quickly. So you invert the yield curve. Banks at that point are still lending. Like you haven't gotten down to the local branch managing lending officer and told them to stop lending. So all of a sudden you had rates go from three and a quarter down to one and a half at a time where banks are still lending. And that happens every cycle. So the drop in rates. So for example, my uh, assistant refinanced her loan for 400 bucks a month. We were were at the Fast Money Show talking about that. One of the guys there said, hey, I just did that for 1200 bucks a month. So what happens is the, the rates 
Treasury yields come down hard. People get to refinance their loans because the banks haven't shut it down yet. I saw that refinancings were up more than 100% year over year. Did you see that stat? Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's a huge part of the story. How do you- Or why is it incredible? Why wouldn't we expect that? It's not. It's every cycle and every cycle we think human nature is different. The guys printing the money keep telling us that they're going to print more money. Now, what we do, Josh, you and I, in this business on TV- we try and figure out if is that good or bad, right or wrong, and it doesn't matter. What matters is my assistant and the guy at, at Fast Money refinance their loan, which is a lot of spending power. So you talk to hundreds, maybe even thousands of portfolio managers throughout the course of the year. Um, how are people feeling given that we're a plus 20% on the S&P? Like, do you find, so in line with that barren sentiment poll, um, is that what you're encountering? Or people it just is. like- we're dead any minute. Like, are people feeling that way? Or it's not we're dead any minute. It's like we could, we could be dead any minute. There's too much debt, and you, as you and I know, you cannot fix debt with exponentially more debt. That's not going to end well. You, you can't grow. You can't grow the economy out of a debt problem. No. What and basically, so what we have is I call it bumper bowling. You know, when your kids, when they were little, you go because nobody can lose in anything in the world anymore. Right. You go bumper bowling. So when you you can't get a gutter ball, three percent right. is the I left. That's how I do it. I do it too. Yeah. Except somehow I bounce it over one of the. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, in bumper bowling, the left bumper is 3% interest rates. When the, when the U.S. Treasury gets to 3%, there's so much debt that people can't afford the debt. Yeah, well, right? Congress can't fund itself right. at, at that level. And, we all and, know that, that, that what's keeping this whole thing going is low rates. 100%. Why anybody would think that we're going to get higher rates absent like an inflation panic. Which you can't get without extraordinary growth. Yeah. Right? So how do you, so the whole point is your left bumper is you can't get too great what's a growth. The right, what's the, what's the right so the bumper? right bumper is 2% because all the people that do debt, that take out debt between 2 and 3% get to refi below 2%. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So the portfolio managers that I talk to, they're not negative. They're not saying, wow, we're about to go into recession, although that's popular commentary right now. They're saying, okay, Bond yields came down so far that they became defensively positioned in utilities, REITs, and consumer stables. I mean, the, those, the bond those surrogate trade have done incredibly well this year. And we found that we're in the third. We again making it not unique. We're in the third post mini recession um, recovery of this cycle. We keep looking for what we already found. People keep saying, "Okay, we might go into recession." We're in a manufacturing recession again, yeah. like the other two. Yeah. And in both of those cases, yields on the 10-year went from 3% down below 2% to one5 Yeah, we had a sub-Rosa recession in 15 and 16 from That's oil. Right. Uh, oil prices collapsing. How about Europe in 2011-12? Yeah. Remember the acronym PIGS, Portugal, Italy, yeah. Greece, and Spain? And you had an accompanying S&P bear market. By October That's of right. 11, we were down 20%, resetting. That's right. The, the bear market, essentially. So if we, what if we have to redefine, based on bumper bowling of rates, what a recession looks like in the U.S. because what if, manufacturing— what if, they hap- what if they happen faster and, they're, and they don't and they're show thinner. up in, in everything? Like in the 1950s, you had four—and this is my thing. I'm a historian, right? In the 1950s, from 1949 to 1960, you had four recessions, Josh. You had five bear markets. Right. Right? No, four bear markets. And and those those recessions were so shallow, but it was a more manufacturing-based economy. And I, I think the 1950s was uh, either the second or third best stock market performance yeah. of any of the decades. Outside of the 90s. So it goes to show. Right? So, and that's what we're I mean, in. Right, so it was we're like 90s, 50s, 80s, I think, is the hierarchy. 
but it was an amazing. That's right. That's it was exactly an amazing right. Time. It's an. It was an amazing time, right. and and you did just what we're doing now. So, the question I'll ask you is: What if we're in nine months into an economic and market cycle? Instead of 10 years into it, we love to paint the picture. Oh, it's the longest economic recovery. It's the longest bull market in history. Well, we bet unless you think 19.8% isn't 20%, we've had a bear market. We're nine months into a new bull market. Oh, in December. Absolutely. The other thing is that um, we've been in this kind of secular bear since January or February of 2018. It's almost a full two years. That's right. Where the stock market has not made a new high. I mean, I think right now we're yeah. on the verge of doing it, but well, you, you're bringing out a, a wicked bull, pet peeve. It's a new peeve. bull market. It's a totally it's a new bull market. But my pet peeve is when we go on TV and say the market's done nothing since January of eighteen. I just said, you, you, you know, it went down twenty percent and then up twenty percent. Oh it, no, right. right, it hasn't right. made forward progress from and, the prior. And you're hundred percent right. right. So right. what do you have? Exactly what you said: an eighteen months consolidation process that you just broke out of. And here's the issue. And I've been as negative as I as people know me as being positive. It's just happened to be a long time ago, um, in two thousand eight. But the bottom line is when you look at how the market's breaking out. The bears will said before it broke out, well, it can't break out because we're going into a recession and the now Fed's going to have- only breaking out now, because of the Fed. Right, and it's low volume or they come up with excuses. So just to be tight, I got four reasons I'm still so bullish, right? Okay. okay? Four Number one, the guys and gals printing the money told you they're going to keep printing money. Okay, what's two? Number two is the global economy is inflecting off of a historically weak level. If you look at the market PMIs and the breadth of the market PMIs, they are turning up off a historical I saw, level. I saw a thing actually in, in WSJ Daily Shot. They, they, they took, I think they took a Deutsche Bank chart showing European stocks that are missing earnings- Mm-hmm. Or rallying. I mean, That's, what, yeah. what is that telling you? Right? All right, what uh, else? Okay, what else? so then you've got corporate credit and household credit Still are widely loose. available. Yep. And that's important because of number four. The millennial demographic peak birth year is turning 30. And you may not notice, Josh, but I'm a millennial. Right? I'm I, a 54-year-old I, I millennial. I observed this. Right? And I'm a millennial because I only wanted experiences when I was 24 or 25. <laughs> you were ahead of the game. I was ahead of the game. Then I met my wife at 27, married 28, first son 29, second one on the way at 30, out to the burbs I went. I even bought the, the minivan, which I still to this minute can't believe thing. I did. Right? The millennial demographic is just turning 30. How many people between 25 and 32 do you know getting married? To your point... Sales of starter homes considered to be houses under $150,000 on fire this year. On fire. So that's household formation. This is the last one I want to throw at you. Um, do you put any, do you put any, well, let me ask it this way. One of the feet, one of the, the uh, results of last, la- this time last year. So we had this 20% bear market or mm-hmm. 19.8%, whatever you want to say. Retail sales were horrible for the holiday season. They were, yeah. I really feel that we've built this economy on the consumer and the consumer's two biggest price signals are what they think their house is worth this week mm-hmm. and what they know their portfolio, their 401k. Like that's yeah, what- for sure. These are the two biggest drivers in my opinion. Do you agree with that? I do. So, so if the stock market holds up- You gotta add a third. Then retail sales should be good this Christmas. They should I don't see be. a reason why they wouldn't. The third one that you gotta add in there is do they have access to money? which goes into okay. the home value, right? In other words, can you go to the bank and refinance your debt? So can we know you, statistically that they can right now. They can. And last year, what I got wrong, 
Um, we did expect a correction because typically when the Fed is tightening rates, you correct, right? It doesn't matter what quarter of the year you're in. When they are excessive, market corrects. I didn't expect the worst quarter in the fourth quarter since the Great Depression. None of us did. Right. So that got <laughs> overplayed to the downside. Yes. And it affected sales because, honestly, I cut back spending. I mean, market's tanking. I'm the bull. Yeah. Right? Like, not looking good. I'm trying to figure out what cardboard it's box It's only normal. I'm Nobody spends more. Right. So now this year, to your point, you got full employment. You got open access to money. Your household debt service ratios, which measures interest expense against income, are at the cycle low. Like, Josh, I, I come in every day trying to figure out where I'm wrong. My career risk is just being stupid wrong and giving people poor advice, right? And helping manage, you know, guys like you manage people's money. I look at every day, how am I going to be wrong? And the data that I'm finding today, I cannot find that it's wrong to expect further upside. You have full employment, open access to money, a turn in the, in the global manufacturing off a historic low, and a demographic tailwind we haven't had since the 90s. Right. Like this game is on until the money shuts down. So what we're watching is corporate credit, household credit, CDS, global, all this fun stuff that we watch. They're derivatives of the, real, of the main that's thing. That's right. And even last December, that wasn't dislocating, which is why I was so baffled by how much it went down. Well, you heard it here first. Tony, how do people, uh, how do people follow your stuff? At Tony Dwyer on Twitter. That's one. And then, okay. and more Where importantly, else? DwyerStrategy.com. DwyerStrategy.com. Okay. And they, they can get your thoughts on a regular basis? Yeah, we have market musings and our macro pieces. So All there's right. a lot on there. You're the man. You come back? I'll come back anytime, right. dude. Hey, uh, thanks for watching. Go ahead and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Make sure you're following Tony on uh, on the Twitter. And uh, by all means, leave us your comments. We love your feedback. Go ahead and smash that like button for me too. And we will be back soon.